Welcome to the Sacred Transformation Podcast. This is season one coming back to life. This is episode five with the wonderful Sarah Sherwood. And I am your host this first season, Helen Cotty. So today's episode is a deep dive into the concept of trauma. What I love about this episode is that Sarah makes it super accessible for us to understand how trauma shows up for many of us. So she explains the difference between capital T trauma, so big traumatic experiences that some people have been through, and the smaller traumas that we all experience, which is where we have an overwhelm in our nervous system that gets stored and then rehashed and brought out again every time we experience something similarly. She talks about some of the ways that we can see it in our world through procrastination or through checking out. And um, it was really helpful for me to see with patterns that I have in my life where I am experiencing some kind of traumatic response in my nervous system. But instead of panicking about that, instead Sarah walks us through what we can do, how we can shift up those systems how we can change our response to uncertainty. Um, So I hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, Sarah Sherwood is uh, a real expert on this stuff. She speaks from such a place of wisdom and knowledge and yet grounds it so we can all understand. Um, And it's really practical. Lots of great ways for all of us to Uh, reset some things to help our bodies and our minds and our nervous systems to reset and restructure so that we're not held back by a trauma response. So I hope you enjoy this episode. This is episode five, Sarah Sherwood on trauma. So we have the fabulous Sarah Sherwood with us today, who is a member of Waypoint, has been through a good while now, um, and is an amazing friend. And so I'm excited about this conversation, just diving into an area that she is a real specialist in, that I think is gonna help us. So um, tell us a little bit about you before we dive into the conversation. Well, I've been a coach um, and body worker for, about 13, 14 years, um, body work longer than coaching. And I was always looking for a way to bridge a gap between um, all of the amazing support and skills that coaching offers. And then bring, how do we embody that? How do we actually bring a body integration component into that um, awareness, clarity, um, focus, goal setting, and even the mindset shifts that happen really powerfully through coaching. And so I'm also trained in something called somatic experiencing. And it's really understanding how our body, our nervous system, um, you know, expressed through our body, how it reacts and responds to stressors. Um, And that has been the answer for me kind of bringing those two things together because uh, my passion coaching for so long I started to realize that a lot there's this massive gap between knowledge and information that people have Mm -hmm. or even the awareness and clarity that they've come to like let's do a visioning exercise and you get super clear on your vision right even set out your 90-day goals you get a new calendar and map out and block time but if you get triggered with a stressor in the lower part of your brain, all that goes out the window and people get in a perpetual cycle that leads to feelings of failure, that they don't have what it takes. There's something wrong with them because they can't get over this hump, et cetera, et cetera. And so working with um, both sides of that to help people actually experience uh, true transformation where they're not trying harder or have better skills and tools to be able to be disciplined, but they're just genuinely uh, feeling and thinking differently. And then that's influencing action. So um, that's a little bit about me. And all of that came out of my own journey of dealing with chronic uh, pain and illness for almost 20 years. Because 
my capacity to lean into my natural strengths, gifts, and talents was diminished through mm -hmm. my own circumstance. And so I had to really start to ask deeper questions about how do, how do, you, how do you have sustainable motivational change in your life um, even when things are really, really hard? So good. Well, A, you just described, um, I think, most of my 30s. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> right. I've got this genius idea. <clears throat> and then I buy the, in fact, I think I have like three business journals on my mm -hmm. shelf that all yep. got to about page three. Yep. Uh, yeah. So they work well. Um, so this first series of the podcast uh, is under the blanket title, Coming Back to Life. And I was really keen for us to have this conversation because what I've heard you describe with the work that you do is how you just help people to come back to life um, in a way that feels tangible, real. You can see the effects of it in their actual day to day. Mm -hmm. um, and I know personally, when we've had conversations about me and my journey, um, and you've done some coaching work with me, it just seems to release something that helps me feel like I can breathe again and start to come back to life. So mm -hmm. I was like, right, we have to have this conversation. Um, and it's going to be kind of pinned around the term and concept of trauma. So can you just start us off with a bit of a conversation around trauma? Um, how would you describe it? What would you say to people about trauma? And then we're kind of we'll get into the process. Absolutely. First of all, I'm so grateful that very recently there's been a huge increase in conversation around trauma, normalizing the conversation. Um, I think there's a lot of misconceptions mm -hmm. about trauma and um, <clears throat> what it actually means. And so I think for a long time, most people thought, oh, that's for people who have had what we in my, in my uh, scope of work called, quote unquote, big T trauma, right? Okay. Like prisoner of war, um, physical or sexual assault, um, you know, be near drowning, being attacked, inescapable attack, those kinds of things. Um, but what were, but what it, what we're noticing to be really true is the, the um, current state of events, the, uh, and primarily the Western culture, but I think it's pervasive around the world, the, the pace of life, the um, way that we deal with stress and kind of just these compounding effects that build up over time mm -hmm. have the same effect on the nervous system. And so I think the most simple way to think about it in the context of the conversation that we're having is it's anything that overwhelms our nervous system and creates what's called dysregulation. And so the nervous system is designed to be in a harmonious regulation that we can, you know, there's two branches of the nervous system. Some of these terms people know or don't know, um, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. So sympathetic, parasympathetic, but think of it more of like the gas pedal and the brake. Mm -hmm. And so we should experience some activation, some get up and go, some um, push, pushing on the gas pedal in our nervous system when we need that. And mm -hmm. then we should experience the braking. Then we are able to brake, come down into uh, a deeper rest and relaxation. But what happens when we are in a high stress environment, we get stuck in the get up and go. We get stuck in the gas pedal to the metal and it never comes down. And that's a lot of the pervasive anxiety that people are experiencing in our culture. Um, the feeling of being kind of revved up and wired up, but exhausted and reaching mm -hmm. for another cup of coffee. That's all in the nervous system. Wow. So, um, another way to think about it is when I experience a stressor that I need to either defend myself from or escape from, my body releases neurochemicals to get me ready to fight, to run away, or to play dead. And um, 
most of the stressors that people are coming up against in their current life are things that it wouldn't, it's not appropriate to fight against (laughs) literally get up and, you know, like run out the door and down the street. Um, And so we go into freeze the kind of the play dead uh, predominantly as adults. And um, that is fueled by our early experiences of how we had to uh, get through difficult things. And so all of this becomes cumulative, but those neurochemicals are released into our body to, to fuel action or, or to temporarily go into that freeze state. And so what ends up happening is none of it's getting expressed. Okay. So it's just not going anywhere. It's just not going anywhere. So Uh imagine getting like a supercharge of adrenaline, the kind that where I can literally, you know, lift a car to pull a child out. Like we hear those stories. That's what's happening. Mm -hmm. It's not like um, this person has superhuman strength. It's that they were equipped with what they needed in that moment to respond to a stressful situation. So we're having that pump through our bodies on a regular basis and not doing anything with it. And so that's what people mean when they say trauma is stored in the body. It's not like trauma, it's not like stress bloops out. It's like this weird cartoon. It's not like stress bloops out somewhere and like runs through your veins and then like goes in some little compartment in your cells. I mean, we say these things and people are like, what is that? Huh? What does that even mean? Right. Because you hear people say that a lot. Like I've heard that phrase before, but I didn't realize it was like chemically true. Yeah. It's neurochemical, but (laughs) the nervous system is always firing on all levels. So it's, it's, uh, it, it brings with it images that have stored emotion and sensation and it's coming in a little neurochemical package. So that's what that means. And so it's really about recognizing what are the signs and symptoms of stress and trauma. Okay, great. So let's talk about that because it's an interesting one for me because, you know, knowing you and knowing you deal with trauma feels like this. Right. Wow. Amazing. She deals with trauma. Um, And then we actually started doing some work and I didn't realize that what I was experiencing was trauma. I thought that was like you say, the kind of those people, those people who have trauma Um, and like totally get it, you know, big traumatic events. Um, But hadn't realized that I was experiencing it because I didn't know the signs and symptoms of it Mm -hmm. until we started doing some work. So um, tell us a little bit about what we may be experiencing and why it's important to know that. Yes. So I would say to anyone listening who's resonating with this, um, a really powerful shift of focus is to not try to figure out in a binary way, do I have trauma or do I not have trauma, right? Yes, no. Um, But just to start to notice the effects of um, overwhelming stress on your nervous system. Okay. So... Um, I think that that's so much more helpful. And then we're going to talk about what that looks like and what that means. Mm. But, but I would say, um, you know, because the context of our conversation is in a coaching community, so much of what people are dealing with and so much of what coaches are then working to help people with um, are effects Mm. of trauma. So things like a lack of purpose, Things like procrastination, sabotage. So, you know, the way we self-sabotage when we're moving towards a goal or, an, or a creative idea. Um, depression and anxiety. Um, perfectionism. Even imposter syndrome is an effect of trauma. So these things are wow. like, wait, what? Yeah. And, mo- and most especially any kind of uh, behavior pattern that we're having a hard time changing. Because um, up until I understood this stuff, all I, all I had was the try harder method, right? right. Mm-hmm. 
and yeah, I can co get some coaching, get clear on like my why, what's your why, you know, like what's your <laughs> inner motivation. And I can tell you, like, it's not, you know what I mean? Like I am clear. Yep. But when I get, when I stress triggers in the lower brain, my lower brain could not care. Right. About the power hour that I had that morning <laughs> and the, 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 you know, intention that I set for the day and the clarity that I have as mm -hmm. to why that matters, my lower brain could not care. Um, and, and, and I hate to say hundred percent of the time, but so we'll say, you know, 99% of the time, the lower brain is going to win because mm -hmm. it's wired for survival. And the way that the way that the process prioritizes is, you know what, your intention that you made this morning about the way that you want to show up in this, you know, situation doesn't matter if you're dead. Right. If you don't survive this overwhelming stressor, it's irrelevant. So, but what gets, you know, I don't know. I didn't design the thing. I have some... <laughs> I have Just some, a disclaimer. So a disclaimer. Disclaimer. I did not design the nervous system. That's brilliant. But, yeah. Uh, but so, your pay grade, apparently. It's, but know. it is. It is. So you got to work with what we've got. But what we are working with is two very distinct, I mean, I'm oversimplifying, but two very distinct parts of the brain. Mm-hmm. And the higher brain is where we create options, make choices, make those 90 day goals are clear on our intention. Um, deep have that deep dive into that connective understanding of why it matters and why it's worth it and you know i'm saying if i'm saying yes to this what am i saying no to and blah 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 but the lower brain is where as the emotional engine of the brain right and when um, an emotion or sensation that feels familiar gets triggered. It pulls from the memory network, pulls from all these um, old experiences and everything's very sticky there. Mm. And so we will go into a default pattern um, to minimize the uncomfortable feelings of fear, shame, anger, whatever, you know, whatever is going on and um, to minimize risk. So that part of our brain is basically hell bent on making sure that we stay inside our comfort zone. Um, and it genuinely is holding the perspective that like, if you go outside your comfort zone, you could die. It's not mm -hmm. like it could be uncomfortable. You could experience rejection or abandonment or disconnection or failure or something, you know, you might get your feelings hurt. Like it's mm -hmm. not thinking on that level. So it's very powerful, um, but it's very unconscious. It's that subconscious part of our brain. But I think it's really important for people to make the, so the whole reason I'm going off on this is if I if I view procrastination as a character issue, if I view it as a lack of discipline, or if I view it as um, I just need to dig deeper into my why, and I don't link it to the fact that there's some kind of self-defensive mechanism and orientation that's happening in my nervous system that I oftentimes is very outside of my awareness and very outside of my quote unquote control in that moment. Mm -hmm. um, I have to link up control to be able to make a different choice. And so then I'm just fighting with procrastination, fighting with procra trying harder, trying harder, trying harder. And then, you know, and possibly even deepening my pattern because then I'm adding now like feelings of shame, feelings of judgment towards myself, feelings of what's wrong with me, you know, which is just going to deepen the groove of that instead of starting to learn how to notice, okay, I'm going to pause here around my procrastination or around this sabotage or even these, la the, these feelings of a lack of purpose. And I'm going to start to notice what I'm experiencing in my body. I'm going to notice what thoughts I'm having, what images I'm having, 
and memory connectivity. Like, what does this remind me of? What is the story that I'm making up about this? And, what are, and then what are the behaviors that are associated with that? Mm-hmm. Um, and whether you want to call it trauma or just stressful events, um, it's connected to a pattern in your life where taking a risk, for instance, <clears throat> led to an o- overwhelm in your nervous system of really uncomfortable feelings. Mm. And then basically that is then stored in your body and your body remembers it and you're just going to f- recycle that, go around that same mm-hmm. pattern over and over. Yeah. So the way the image that I think is helpful, cause it's, this is where people are like, I, how does this work? I imagine it, this is not literal, but I imagine that. So it's more through the memory network. So your memory, imagine that your all of your memories are stored in a really big filing cabinet, mm-hmm. but memories are stored. So let's imagine there's like a, there's like a, uh, like a negative a film negative, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a square that has an image on it of a real life event, but how memory gets stored is it, it stores with it all of the sensation. Okay. All of the emotion. Yep. All of the, uh, interpersonal connectivity that was happening in that experience. Um, and, all of your thoughts, the story, the, the, the perception of reality, the interpretation of that reality, Mm -hmm. what it meant, all of it gets. So imagine then that gets glued on in some weird collage on top of the image of the memory. So what ends up happening and these are stored and it's very, it's accessed very quickly. It's very like high tech system. So I'm thinking about making a change in my life that's going to require that I step outside of a familiar known reality and take a risk. What's going to happen is the fear of that, the, uh, the uh, uncertainty of that, the unknowing of that, whatever story I start making up about that or whatever um, feeling that I have about that, it triggers then to pull and it just, the, it just goes and it pulls all the past experiences with all the sensation and emotion and thoughts and meaning you attach to it and what it meant relationally for you. You know, like mm. um, I was judged. This person said this. I believed this message of shame about who I am. I was too much. I wasn't enough. Da-da-da-da. It pulls all of that into this, this experience. Right. So that's a better way to understand how it's quote unquote stored in the body. Uh huh. It makes so much sense. I hadn't quite realized that was how it worked, but it makes so much sense now because I'm <laughs> thinking of times where I have, um, you know, some of the fruit that you were talking about that the mm-hmm. sort of symptoms of it. Um, it couldn't quite make sense of why it was that this new scenario that I was having, I felt some kind of something was already there, but this is a new scenario, but then it's not. Okay. So it is new, but actually what it's doing is it's just pulling from all of this memory. And one of the things that I know is I feel it. I can feel the emotional response to things physically in my body. And that's the thing that I notice Mm. often feels very familiar I'm like, I'm doing that thing again. So I'm uh, claustrophobic, for example. And mm-hmm. I can, I, <laughs> the times where I've had a kind of claustrophobia reaction, panic reaction um, to something that's new, but it feels very familiar because yes. I'm pulling from this yes. giant. <laughs> yes. Stuff. Okay, that makes sense. So the other side of that, that we celebrate, so the lower brain is why we're, you and I are both still breathing. Like, mm-hmm. thank God for that part of our brain because it would suck for me to have to, re- to relearn 
every time I cook to not touch the hot pan. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that would be a really hard way forward. Uh And so um, that's when we can understand the purpose of the design and we can understand and lean into the, the positive effect that that brings then we can start to work with it a little bit different because, you know, the brain has a negativity bias. It stores that information as high priority. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like in your inbox, you can flag certain messages. It's going to flag all the bad stuff, all the stuff that was super painful, all the stuff that led to the end of a relationship, all the things that caused you to be humiliated in front of the class, all of the, you know, it's going to, it flags that as high priority because it's trying to help you like, Hey, let's not do that again. Let's not feel that again. Let's not experience that again. Now, there's some things that we want to uh, take that wisdom and not repeat in our life. And then there's some things that were just uncomfortable feelings of shame or uncomfortable feelings of rejection, but it doesn't mean that we never want to do X, Y, and Z. So when we have more capacity to sort through that, you know, a powerful question that I sometimes will ask myself when I get in that place is, am I, am I truly in danger mm. or is this just unfamiliar? And when we are able to create that distance from what's happening in that lower part of our brain, that subconscious part, it quickly will be like, Oh, it's just unfamiliar. I mean, you've not done this before. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) you know, I mean, we're just perceiving that we're just anticipating the danger because, you know, this is new. So we we don't know what's going to happen. And it's really helped me frame it as opposed to kind of a, a moving against stance with that part of my design. So a lot of times we'll shame ourselves for experiencing shame, you know, Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll um, override fear because we're just supposed to like feel our fear and do it anyway. But what if you could notice your fear, move through the feelings of fear and then do it from a place of, of like fueled courage. Like that's, that's different, but we're just like, (laughs) yeah. And I, I mean that whole kind of feel the fear and do it anyway, bit. um, I was, I was chatting to somebody recently. They were like, yeah, that's like really bad advice to teach to your like teenagers. Like if they're, you know, if if they've got some like kid going in a car who's like high or been drinking or whatever, and they're terrified, please don't teach them to override their fear network. Yes. (laughs) That's going, do not get in that car. That's a stupid thing to teach people. Um, And, but then at the same time, we know that there are fears that are stopping us from moving to places we want to go to, but they're different things, right? Yes. They have different purposes. (laughs) I love what you're bringing up because that's another effect or fruit of trauma is dysregulation around boundaries. And when we have had boundary breach as children, which most of us have in a variety of ways, then our capacity to understand the the fear message um, gets really disrupted. Mm-hmm. And then the flip side of it, what you're speaking to. So I work a lot with, um, people who have experienced uh, sexual assault, sexual abuse, or other kinds of abuse, um, which is a huge boundary breach. Um, and especially if it's a chronic, uh, situation relationally, which often abuse is, then their capacity to receive the message of warning is just is disrupted and so i agree i think that there's really misguided ways of understanding how to work with fear because Mm -hmm. having a really healthy relationship with fear is super important for you to discern um, if this person place or possibility is safe right And so the flip side of that is what we were originally talking about is sometimes that can pull information from like 
no, it's, it's just, it's just a risk. It's unfamiliar. Yes. I putting myself out there in this situation makes me feel vulnerable, but it's not unsafe. Mm -hmm. But then on the flip, I, I, uh, also want to have a very healthy, uh, relationship with my fear so that I can also let it give me incredibly valuable information about the safety of situations. Yeah. Oh, it's really good to make that differentiation. Um, so um, there will be some people who are very conscious to their trauma, maybe more capital T trauma. There'll be a lot of people like me who wouldn't necessarily selves, blah, 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 wouldn't necessarily put themselves in that bracket. But having heard this probably go, huh, I recognize myself in a lot of those behaviors. So maybe there is some trauma in there from somewhere something um what do we do about that rather than doing the thing that like in my head already there's this kind of like oh i've been traumatized um <laughs> response because you know me i have a good amount of enneagram six panic that kicks in mm -hmm. um so instead of just being like labeling it as trauma and that being unhelpful what do we do with it so first of all, <clears throat> celebrate that you have an active nervous system that has been working really hard to help you. Mm. Yay! <laughs> and change your relationship with your patterns of survival. Huh. And just that, I really feel strongly, like that is actually the first step. It's like, way to go nervous system high fives i'm gonna put on a black dress and like you know um give a toast and hold up my glass like this is awesome that we have this part of ourselves that is working diligently without our conscious awareness to help us uh cope with life and mm -hmm. for many of us, life has been very hard and very stressful. So number one, celebrate. Number two, sink into awareness and start to pay attention. You mentioned before um, the concept of, of felt sense. Mm -hmm. and, th and this is the most important thing that we can cultivate is a felt sense because we can get too... Um, linear binary western rational in our thinking of like is this a thought or an emotion is this my sensation or is this my you know it's like oh my gosh yes is the answer all of the, <laughs> all of the above you just, know yes. I mean? mm -hmm. just yes but we're so we're separatists we we need everything to be linear and like so what was your question what is my thought or my feeling, you know, it's like, oh, help us. So developing your capacity to have a felt sense is gonna be your greatest um, tool of awareness because it is our strongest access point. But we're, we're we are taught <clears throat> in our culture and in subcultures inside of our culture, um, et cetera, family systems, religious systems, school systems, et cetera, to not be aware of what we're, our felt sense and, to, and for it certainly to not be trusted. Mm. So I'm not saying get to know your felt sense so you can like follow every impulse that you have, but get to know it so that you can, that's your curiosity access point. And then the other thing I would, well, the, the next thing I would say is begin to see if you can shift your focus away from behavior um, behavior, um, OCD, behave obsessively compulsively focused on your behavior and changing it because a hundred percent of the time. And now with my clients, I mean, if you work with me, I'm not, especially at the beginning, I'm not super interested in, in your behavior and trying to change it because it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And, <clears throat> and then if we think that the behavior is rooted in this, I'm not convinced. And within 10 minutes, I, we got to the, we can get to the root of it. Um, 
And when you work with, with that and heal that, then your behavior changes. It just really does. Um, Cause behavior is fueled by impulse to either mitigate an uncomfortable uh, emotion and sensation to not feel it, a numbing behavior or acting out, seeking external validation and approval for something that you don't feel internally on a deep felt sense level, but it's not what's happening in the moment. Hmm. And so um, even just understanding that like, oh, eating a pint of ice cream every night or yelling at my kids at, um, at, at bedtime every night or whatever it may be is, um, is because I feel stressed isn't necessarily, if you're still focused on changing that, just predominantly changing the behavior, you're not going to uh, have a lot of success in my opinion. And so that's also the behavior modification, um, situations that many people have been in and some of these subsystems that I named haven't proven to bring about a lot of transformation and change. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, I'll pause there. Go ahead. And um, I just want to jump on a word you said a little while ago, which was um, healing. Mm -hmm. You, yeah, kind of <laughs> drop that in there and I'm like, huh, okay, let's, let's just make sure we don't jump over that. So you can heal this stuff. It's possible to heal it. <laughs> so that's why I started with celebration. We have this incredible nervous system that unless, yeah. you, you, unless you've had a traumatic brain injury in a very specific part of your brain, it is totally, completely plastic and malleable. And what plastic means is that it's changeable. Mm -hmm. um, so through the, you know, neuroplasticity is this new concept, relatively new in the last 20 years-ish. But before that, we thought that <clears throat> you just are who you are, whatever learned um, <clears throat> capabilities that you had were limited. Um, you know, those kinds of things. And even the old PSA, you know, of the egg frying, you know, this is your brain on drugs kind of thing. I mean, you can do brain damage through drug use. I'm not denying that. But the idea was whatever you've gone through and however it's impacted your brain, like that's it too bad, so sad. Here's some coping skills to get through life better. Um, but the truth is that our capacity to actually change and transform on a nervous system level um, is, is uh, immeasurable. Like it doesn't, it, it, it has no, it's limitless. It has hmm. no limit. Wow. And what I have found in my own personal life, and then I see all the time in my clients, it takes time and it takes uh, it's, there's a process to it, but you reach a tipping point. And so what it's transformation, it's being different than you were mm -hmm. and you rewire your brain in such a way that the impulse drives and behaviors that you've been working so hard your whole entire life to change and like dig deeper to find your why, like why it's important to you to try to motivate yourself to do something different. You just stop doing it. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, how? <laughs> how, do, uh, how do we heal from all of that stuff? Um, yeah, I've got so much racing through my head of all of the things where I'm like, yeah, I keep trying to do better, trying to do better, trying to do better. Um, and I think I'm focusing on the wrong thing when actually the thing that's going to release the whole, it, whole thing will be healing something else, somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So, Sarah Sherwood, how, 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 how? <laughs> oh, right, right. So this is where it gets, this is where I'm always like, what can I offer that's practical enough for someone to grab hold of? Because it is, um, you know, even just the work that I do was a four-year training process. It's like, it's not a, yeah. Uh, read it in a blog post kind of thing. But what I would say is back to the concept when I said overwhelm of the nervous system or dysregulation, mm -hmm. what dysregulation requires is regulation. <laughs> so 
regulation shows up in a couple different ways. There's uh, self-regulation and co-regulation, and then there's auto-regulation, which is, um, so two things, learning how to regulate your own nervous system response to stress. I'll come back to that. And then leaning into healing in connected relationships. And that's that co-regulatory component. Now, the sad, hard reality is most relationships are dysregulating. Mm. Most relationships, unfortunately, because we're all walking around kind of flooded in our, in our nervous system, are, are stressful. They, they cause a stress response in us as opposed to um, being helping calm the nervous system and create safety, but it's essential. And so finding that, even if it's just, you know, for, for a lot of my clients, I am their yeah. co, you know, at, at the beginning, I am their safe co-regulatory relationship, but then they learn how to do that and their relationships start to shift hmm. and they start to find new people in their life to have healthy relationship with. So, the basic how is increasing what's called the window of tolerance in neurobiology, which is the space between what's happening to you and your reaction to it. And it's going to primarily the, come uh, firstly through that awareness that I talked about. So if you have a pattern that you feel really stuck in, it's taking a big step back from it, not necessarily while it's happening. Um, most people want to start there and I'm like, good luck with that. You know, it's kind of like, it's, it, it's kind of like having the expectation that I'm going to suddenly have core back, you know, core and back strength as I'm lifting a couch to move it up the stairs. It's like, no, <laughs> I'm going to have to build that before I'm lifting the couch. So the, the ideas that we have around change and transformation are hysterical to me. You know, um, we would never view physical strength Mm. or like building a house or renovating a kitchen or something like that in the same way that we view um, our psychological, emotional, spiritual transformations. That's you know, so it's like, true. well, I, yeah. they're like, well, I have the, I have the information. So why am, why am I, 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 I still like, I still ate the pint of ice cream last mm -hmm. night. Uh-huh. Yep. You did. And that's okay. Cause that's, that comes like thirdly or fourthly, you know, in, in down the, down the scope. So regulation of the nervous system in a basic understanding is being able to stay present, practice pausing when I'm having a stressor and I'm going to be able to do that through awareness and noticing my felt sense. So I notice that I'm have tension in my um, in my gut or in my chest. I notice that I suddenly feel disconnected, floaty, um, flat affect, and, you know, um, or I start to notice impulse behaviors. I start to notice that I retreat and isolate. I start to notice that I'm people pleasing and moving toward and trying to fix and change. I notice that I feel kind of aggressive and want to move against. Um, I notice that I am not sleeping very well. I notice that um, I'm having ruminating thoughts. Um, so you start to see what are your tells, just like in a game of poker, I can mm -hmm. learn my, you know, like I have these tells, I can learn my opponent's tells of like, ah, every time his left eye twitches, you know, it means that he has a, a good hand or whatever. So you start to through awareness, you, you start to notice your tells, but on a different level. Yeah. And then, um, honestly, the, the pausing, slowing down, and breathing are going to be the quickest way to shift it in the moment. Um, breath is the one thing that we have control over in the autonomic nervous system. Everything else is happening automatically. And, mm. and thank God our breath is happening automatically. I don't have to remember or think about breathing while I sleep. It's good. Yep. Probably a good thing. Good news. And I can think about and change my breath pattern. Mm. 
but I can't think about and change uh, certain neurohormones that are being released in my body. You know what I'm saying? And we yeah. could argue that on a esoteric level, but whatever, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so <laughs> True, in for part two. Yes, um, I know, right? <laughs> on the next podcast. So, um, but, but the other side of it is then also tuning into the messages, the story that I'm making up, the thought process, because again, I don't, nine times out of 10, I have a judgment or shame prone uh, message attached to the feeling. Mm. And when I say feeling, you know, the emotion or sensation the perspective that I'm holding about it. So your example of having three business journals that you've just barely gotten started on, I would venture to guess that there's thoughts about yourself. I am statements about yourself that are associated with the fact that they're unfilled, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we are able to pull everything apart and breathe, what happens is, um, the emotion will move through us and settle as opposed to uh, being the fuel that keeps us stuck in the pattern. And then once it moves through and it's not there in the strength that it was, then we can have that distance to move that higher brain back online where we can create options and make choices. And then we get really clear on what's the new thought I want to have, what's the new action I want to take, what's the new, um, you know, feeling that I want to have, and we start to be able to change those. So, um, hypothetically, mm -hmm. let's talk about Fred, who um, has all these great ideas, stuff that he wants to do, but um, is stressed, stressed in his work, stressed in his home life, um, finds himself numbing behaviors, beers mm -hmm. at night, vegging in front of the TV, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, he now becomes aware that there is probably some trauma stuff going in there. He can see that there's some fruits of it and he wants to get better, move forward, mm -hmm. start the healing process. Um, he starts to just notice, be aware of some stuff. Mm -hmm. Um What's the thing that you're kind of aiming for? How do you know that someone is into the process of healing? What's some of the fruits that you see from that? that that's a great question. Yes, that's earlier? a great question. I love that question because it's a process. And then you hit a tipping point. Uh -huh. All of my clients, they're doing hard work, doing hard work, doing hard work. It feels like, you know, they're in that conscious incompetence, conscious competence. And then all of a sudden they hit a tipping point and things shift. Right. So in that conscious incompetence and conscious competence stage, Fred is sitting in front of the TV with a beer in his hand and he suddenly is like, huh, I wonder if I'm numbing. And then just while numbing, tunes in and says, I feel totally shut down and disconnected. Like I'm floating in outer space. Mm -hmm. um, and then he deepens his awareness and he goes, Oh, interesting. Even though I am feel disconnected and shut down and like, I am like, I'm just doing this to shut off my brain. When I tune into my thought process, I realize that I am like, the thoughts are like rolling. Mm -hmm. He's like, wow, that was like a revved up, like, like turbine. So then he tunes into that and he's like, <laughs> whoa, dude, that's some negative, harsh stuff mm -hmm. going on. Really? I'm a total failure. And my life has no meaning. Okay. Okay. Let me reality check that. Is that true? 
And let's, let me also tune in, like, where, where is this actually coming from? Where is this uh, originating? What does this remind me of? Does this remind me of any other times in my life that I have felt? Oh, and then image pops in. Oh my gosh. Yeah. When I was in college, I la 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 and blah, 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 blah. Okay. And then it's working. The healing comes when you work with the unresolved um, way, the un unresolved parts of how things got associated in those hard moments. Hmm. And he may then when he remembers that time start to feel like a warmth in his chest, some heat in his eyes, some tearing might start to show. And if he's able to not clamp down around it and just begin to label fear, tune in and say fear of disconnection, fear of failure and humiliation. Um, and then he's like, whoa, I'm afraid that if I succeed, I'm going to like destroy my life somehow. Like hmm. it's going to be too much or, you know what I mean? He hits that and he stays with it for 90 seconds. And the felt sense of that, the, the feeling of that, the sensation is expressed in a healthy way. He didn't hurt himself. He didn't hurt anyone else. He didn't need right. to act out in any certain way. It was just the energy of the emotion was able to find expression, those neurochemicals uh, expressing themselves. Mm -hmm. And he may then begin to notice um, like around anger, it, let's say anger showed up for him. He may then begin to notice some tension building in his body and he can go into some activation in that, making fists, squeezing his body, pushing the wall, things I teach my clients to do to help move anger and boundary setting through the body. Or he may feel himself starting to collapse. You know, those kinds of things. You learn how to support and let things move through. Mm -hmm. And then um, he he, then that choice comes back online and he's able oh, to ask okay. himself, okay, that's true. That happened. I'm, I'm, ex I'm, expressing unresolved layers of that experience, but what do I choose now? Huh. And then take very small action. And sometimes the action is I choose to not speak harshly to myself about how I'm feeling in this moment. I mean, a lot of times that's the action point, not necessarily like I'm going to get up at five tomorrow and right. you know, whatever. That's really helpful. And, and it is, I'm assuming just staying with the process each time it happens until you've done the work enough that you can feel that tipping point getting closer. Yes. And what I love the, you know, the other thing I mentioned, but didn't go into is auto regulation. And what starts to happen is your brain is very efficient and it's going to go with whatever you're focusing on. And, uh -huh. um, and so, yes, at first, it's a process that you have to kind of be mindful of and have that conscious competence around. Okay. But, but the, what I love is the design of, of the brain is then it just starts doing it. Uh huh. That's so good. And now, I mean, to be honest, I still uh, work through stuff just like anybody else, but my brain is so wired in such a way. It's like, gives me daily reports. It's like, <laughs> excuse me, you uh, let us, you know, the um, awareness department let us know that you were curious about these four things. Would you like to take a look at this now? Because we have a daily report of the things that you are aware of. And it, I'm like, oh, yes, thank you. That's very helpful. And then, and then I have some tools and things, you know. So it's not mm -hmm. that I don't get triggered or I don't have stress or I don't experience shame or, right. you know. But it's very quick. It's this very, like if the graph, you know, people can't see my hands. I talk with my hands if you know me, but um, if the graph, if the bell, if the curve was quite large before, um, it becomes very small. And okay. so you have, that's what regulation looks like. 
I have activation in my sympathetic, I come down in parasympathetic. I have activation in my sympathetic, I come down into parasympathetic. And it creates this beautiful kind of infinity loop. And, and I, that's, that's what my nervous system wants to do. Love it. I love it. Now, we've got like five minutes left. Mm -hmm. um, we are recording this in July 2020 in the middle of a global pandemic. <laughs> yes, yes, certainly are. This is now a history lesson. Um, uh, my gut tells me, and your work will probably tell you this in more detail, we are going to have a ton of traumas um, coming out of this process. Um, my side hustle as a teacher of small humans, I'm seeing it already in these four or five-year-olds um, some really interesting responses. Mm -hmm. um, this is a big giant topic for me to throw at you with my in the last five minutes, mm -hmm. but um, do you have anything you could throw in here for normal Joe public who is feeling stressed and anxious because of lockdown, because of getting sick, because of COVID, whatever? Um, yep. Throw in what you've got, Sarah Sherwood. Yes, in four minutes or less. Yes, please. Thank you. <laughs> the um, predominant places to look are um, around, so it's fear activation, mm -hmm. but it's through a very unique, I mean, people can have specific fear activation inside of it, like I lost my job and I don't know how I'm going to pay the rent, right? That can, you know, there can be that, or I have an uh, immunocompromised um, body and I'm afraid to get sick or et cetera, right? There can be specifics, but globally we're dealing with a very, I think the pandemic of stress is actually around uncertainty. Mm -hmm. We've never done this before. Or, you know, those of us living today, they'll say it's unprecedented read a little bit about history. It's not, that's very narcissistic. No, it's not unprecedented. But we, as the humans living on the planet today, have never experienced this. Right. Um, and so it challenges our, our illusion of control. Mm -hmm. And the way that the flip side, right, so much of what we're doing behaviorally to mitigate the uncomfortable feelings of fear, the uncomfortable feelings of uncertainty, etc. are kind of um, this myth of control. So number one, it shows up predominantly in, in acting out or shutting down and just ask. So identify for yourself, what's my course of action? Am I, and acting out can look like I can't stop doing my task list. I'm constantly organizing. I'm trying to get things done. I'm you know, I just reorganized the pantry again because you're wanting a sense of safety mm -hmm. through a, a feeling of control Okay. or shutting down. Like I just, I can't get going. I can't get in my rhythms. I can't get anything done. I'm just watching another show, etc. cetera. Yep. And same thing, you're trying to mitigate the uncomfortable feeling of fear through because of uncertainty. So I think the place to look and what I actually get excited about how it could, the potential for change in our culture long-term is dealing with how do we want to be in relationship with uncertainty? Because I think that that's the twist in the plot. It's kind of like, ta-da, guess what? Things are always uncertain. We just have an illusion of control. Um, and now we're being faced with that reality. I don't actually know that much has changed in regard to um, how little control we have over the situation of our life. Right. You we know just I mean? now see it differently. <laughs> yeah. Now we are it's just like, in your face, you know, like, what are you going to do about this? And, and it's very overwhelming. Yeah. Very overwhelming. So I think the most resilient thing we can do right now is change our relationship with uncertainty and we can become comfortable with the, the, the fact, the fact of life. Then we can start to ground into the things that we do feel like we have control over influence in our life. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so 
those end up becoming healthier things. Hmm. I do have influence over how I feel inside of my circumstance. I do have influence over my connected relationships and whether or not I'm leaning into that and developing healthy ones. Does that make sense? Mm, Whether or not there's a global pandemic. Right. So that's what I would say about that. Just if I had to go high level. Mm. So good. Oh, Sarah Sherwood, you are a gem. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing all of the wisdom around a topic that I think a lot of people, like you say, just didn't know a great deal about unless they really had to, but luckily is something we're becoming more aware of. Um, If people would like to get in contact with you to find out more about the work that you do, where's the best place for them to go? You can go to my website. It's sarah-sherwood.com and just send me a message through that. Or Mm -hmm. um, I'm on uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, those kinds of things. Great. We'll put all the links in the show notes so people can get in contact with you. Um, Thank you, friend. Uh, Such a great conversation to have. And uh, thank you for being willing to share all of your stuff with us all. Well, thank you. It's been fun.